You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're gonna do is you're gonna go to adameve.com, you're gonna go to checkout, and you're gonna type in darkpod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're gonna get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're gonna get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to adameve.com and take advantage of it right now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. 
I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost, and they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars, and they can be found on Twitter at Sexy Life Coach, Instagram at Sexy Life Coach, and you can book them via their website, Haley Jade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun, sexy, romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients, Haley Jade is the one for you. Book them now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. And that's actually what I'm going to be changing the tagline to, shining a bright light on disability stories, because I think it's more encompassing of what I want the show to be, where we tell stories about disability and we're not so pigeonholed into just talking about sex, even though... Even though where there's going to be a lot of sexy episodes, I want to do more than just talk about sex. So the new tagline, which I'm having worked on, which I'm having having someone work on for me, is going to be shining a bright light on disability stories. So cool. Cool, cool. My name's Andrew Gerza. I'm your disabled dandy, your disabled dick smith, and everything in between. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started. First things first, of course, I want to give a shout out to one of the people that pledged to the show this month, and I want to give a shout out to them. They went on the Patreon feed at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and they pledged their hard-earned dollars to keep a bright light shining on this show, and that person this week is their name is Bad Leather Wolf. And to that I say, I'm into leather and I like wolves in terms of like sexy gay men. So that's hot, Bad Leather Wolf. Thank you so much for pledging $1 a month. You make me feel good in all my bad places. Yeah, there it is. Hot, right? Yeah. Um, This means they'll get the show one day early and they'll hear it on the Patreon feed on Wednesday instead of Thursday, and they'll get a weird, awkward shout-out for me. If you want to pledge to the show to keep a bright light shining on these things, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month to keep the show going. Alright, but now let's get the show started. On the show today, I wanted to do a continuation of my series What's your condition? And if you're new to this podcast and you're new to this feed, 
What's Your Condition looks at disability, looks at different disabilities and explores both the facts, the history, the mythology, and the reality of living with these disabilities. I do this in an effort to help people learn about these disabilities in a way that doesn't really feel like putting disabled people on the spot and forcing them to constantly be educating. I do the work and I go on the Google machine and I, uh, I, I find facts and figures and mythologies and history and all the stuff around, around certain disabilities. And I talk about it on these episodes and I, I, I started these, these what's your condition and I, and I named it that because when people see us on apps or on dating things they'll say like oh what's your condition what what do you have what's wrong with you and I wanted to kind of play with that and to kind of talk about conditions that are that people have and disabilities people have and people that people live with and so I've done CP I've done um one other one that I can't remember right now but me and an amazing guest did one, did another one recently, and today I'm going to do a new one, so get ready for that. Oh yeah, the other What's Your Condition that I did was with Courtney Ng, who did, who talked to us about ataxia, so I'm going to do another one today, and I'm really excited about this new episode of What's Your Condition on Disability After Dark, so let me tell you the condition I chose. All right, let's go. I put out a poll on my Twitter at it's Andrew Gerza on Twitter a couple weeks ago asking what disability I should highlight for my next episode in this series. And overwhelmingly, people responded with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I can't remember the exact number, but something close to 80% of the people surveyed wanted me to review Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, so that's what I decided to do today. We've had several guests on the series who live with EDS, and they've shared their stories, but my goal in this episode is to dive into the way EDS is looked at on on the Google machine and in other forums to also get a sense of what might happen if someone's perspective date google eds what might they find so that's what we're going to do right now when you first google eds the very first thing that comes up on the screen is a cartoon picture of someone hyperextending their finger back and it looks super painful what they're doing but that's the very first thing you see along with imagery of connective tissue and a quote that reads Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS, is a disease that weakens the connective tissues of your body. These are things like tendons and ligaments that hold parts of your body together. EDS can make your joints loose and your skin thin and easily bruised. It can also weaken blood vessels and organs. Right off the bat, it isn't given many positive attributes, and I'm sure that someone reading that for the first time, if if they wanted to do some research on a potential date who said I have EDS and like find out things to educate themselves. Seeing that would be rather scary and would be rather daunting to read. And also if you've just been diagnosed with EDS, reading that can seem, would probably seem kind of scary and kind of like, oh wow, this is what I have now. How do I manage this? And so if you're Googling it for the first time, be wary of that. Of that thing that you'll see pop up because it is rather daunting 
But um, that is the first thing you see when it comes up. It talks immediately of how it'll weaken your blood vessels and organs and it'll, you'll bruise easily and all these things will happen to you. So it, it, it seems like it's really, really scary to have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But as I know from talking with people who have it on the show, it's, it's a lot to manage, but it isn't, it isn't as terrifying as this, this brief description makes it out to be, of course. I also just want to do a little sidebar. When I put on Twitter yesterday that I was creating a show around Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, people were popping off with excitement. I got emails and DMs and people saying, wow, thank you so much for doing this. Like, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. I'm really, really stoked to listen to this one. So I feel a super kind of awesome responsibility to make this show important and to talk about as much of other journalists and as I can because I know that so many people will be listening. So I hope that I do it justice and I do it right and I say the right things and I have picked the right things to, to highlight. Um, but if I haven't and you have EDS after this and you want to talk to me about this, let me know and I would love to have you on the show to hear more from your perspective as having EDS. But I was really excited when I put it out and people were so, so excited to, to know that the show would be covering this. People were like, I literally got five or six DMs saying, wow, we're, I'm really stoked for this. So that's pretty cool, right? Anyway, let's start off and talk about some myths myths that people have about EDS and some major mythology about EDS that it goes that goes around there. So let's start there. The first, the first myth I found was that if a person does not have stretchy skin, they do not have EDS. And this is false because the skin is indeed affected by EDS, but, quote, stretchy, end quote, is not always the classic sign that one might look for. It may also look velvety, translucent, or prone to bruising, but the skin may not be highly elastic. And I think that's important to highlight because everybody's experience with certain certain conditions and disabilities is different. And I think it's important to highlight that if you're looking for a certain marker and you're not finding it, you may dismiss something. So the fact that they talk about the skin can look velvety, translucent, etc. is really important and valuable, I think. The second myth that I found was that EDS is not a serious condition. There was a lot of people saying, there was a lot of stuff that I found when I was Googling it where people would ask questions like, is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome a real condition? And that just felt really rude and really dismissive of the fact that people are living with this and people are experiencing this and this is what people think. And I feel like that's not very fair or very kind. And I f the fact that somebody would put this in a question on Google is really is really super ableist, I think, anyway. The myth continues, EDS is not a serious condition. Quote, oh, you're just flexible. People often assume that EDS is not a serious condition as it could be. It can cause subluxation, subluxation to joints. A, sublux a subluxation is when the joint is partially dislocated from the socket slower healing times, and occasionally organ failure. 
I also found it somewhat concerning that the definition of, subluxa of subluxation is a minor dislocation or a slight misalignment of the vertebrae. It makes it sound as though it isn't really painful or, or really that serious. And I think we should definitely change the definition to something that to something that is more realistic and more more taps into the, the lived experience of what somebody experiencing a subluxation or a, a joint dislocation would be feeling. When I was younger, and even a little bit right now at, in, at 36, I had a subluxed hip that was excruciatingly painful. So I feel like these descriptions need to be updated by disabled people to highlight how they actually feel and what it actually feels like to have a subluxation or a dislocation. I feel like that's really important and I feel like these descriptors don't do them, don't do them honest justice. I feel like people need to uh, rewrite them, rewrite them with their lived experience intact and then we'll see how minor a subluxation is. The third myth I found was EDS is always passed down from one parent to a child. Some types of EDS are passed on from a parent to child, but for many, the gene is recessive, meaning that the child must receive two copies of the mutation for it to be present. So it doesn't always mean that if... And I, I didn't realize that it was a genetic thing you could inherit. I didn't realize it was an inheritable condition um, that you, you one of your parents or, or, or both of your parents would have to have the gene... For EDS, I didn't even I didn't even know that it was a genetic thing we were talking about. So, I learned something in the research when I did the research for that that too. But the the child must receive two copies of the mutation for it to be present. The fourth myth I the fourth myth that I found goes back to what we were just talking about: dislocations and subluxations don't hurt people with EDS. I can't even believe that this has to be part of the mythology, to be honest. Of course it hurts. Of course subluxations don't feel very nice. Of course they hurt. Of course they do. Of course they do. The fifth myth that I found reads, Classical EDS is the most common type. False. Hypermobile EDS is the most common type, affecting 1 in 5,000 up to 20,000 people. We'll get into more types of EDS later on in the episode, and I'm going to go through through the, the, the 13 types of EDS and just read off what they are, and then we'll talk a little bit about each one of them. But there's there's quite a lot of, of, EDS, of EDS types and variants that we can definitely uh, talk about. Now, let's look at some facts about EDS. One of the first facts I found about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I really like, is that it's, it's a group of genetic disorders with, with connective tissue. It is a constellation of a number of other disorders that have to do with connective tissue. I like it when publications use language like constellation, or as seen in our episode about cerebral palsy, they, they'll use words like umbrella. Cerebral palsy is an umbrella to denote a movement disorder. And Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a constellation. First of all, it's cool because it makes it, you can think about stars when you think constellation or like, a, you know, a cool imagery like that. But also, 
Um, I think it highlights for people living with the with the disability that if you have a tough time being diagnosed, it isn't really your fault because they have to look at a a, a really a, a whole lot of different possibilities when trying to find a diagnosis. So knowing that it's a constellation or an umbrella will tell you that it isn't your fault if it's hard for the, the medical professional to diagnose you properly. I think it's kind of cool. Um, what do people with EDS think about it being called a constellation? Let me know. Send me an email. Let me know what you think about that. Some more facts about EDS. One in 5,000 to 20,000, up to all the way up to 40,000 people worldwide live with EDS. These numbers seem suspicious to me, and I suspect that a lot more people live with some type of EDS, and perhaps they haven't been properly or fully diagnosed. I have talked to so many people living with EDS on this podcast alone, so I am sure, I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there are more people living with EDS than the numbers here because I've talked to a number of them on this show alone. And I just think that with the difficulty to get diagnosed and the next fact I have here, it says that it can take up to 20 years to be properly diagnosed with EDS according to a story in the UK's Guardian newspaper. It can take up to 20 years to be properly diagnosed. So if that's the case, that means there are probably a bunch of people who don't know what they have and who are having all these symptoms of like stretchy skin and 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 you know being able to bend their their being able to dislocate their jaws or hips or things like that um and they they're not being properly diagnosed. So I feel like those numbers are much much higher. Another fact I found was that most people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome should be expected to have a, quote, normal lifespan. And I put it in quotes because I hate the word normal. What does normal even mean? And I'm sure that if, that if you know, somebody seeing that in doing their research would think that maybe, like, if they've just been diagnosed to see that would be really daunting to think, like, oh, I'm, I might have a normal lifespan or am I not given what I have? And also if you're gonna go date somebody with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome to find to find that as a factoid could also be a little bit like, oh, that's okay, that's hard to to navigate now. Like I think I think that the term normal lifespan needs to be wiped from our vocabulary entirely because it just feels super ableist. What the fuck is a normal lifespan? Anyway, that fact bothered me because because it just did. So I put normal in huge quotes in my notes here because normal is a construct and I didn't like it super much when I saw it there. A lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome also experience a host of other disabilities like POTS, which is known as postural tachycardia syndrome, which is an abnormal increase in heart rate that occurs after sitting up or standing. Some of my guests in past episodes have talked about having POTS. People with EDS can also live with chronic fatigue syndrome, which I'm sure is super fun to not only have EDS, which is which is a can which sounds like a bitch to diagnose, but to also have all these other hosts of disabilities. 
I'm sure it sounds super enjoyable at times, given how crappy our medical system is at, at, at making proper diagnoses. So to those with the EDS and other underlying conditions with it, I salute you. I know how tough it is, and I, I am here with you. Thanks for being so awesome. But now let's move into some of the history of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I went way back in the history. It is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is known as one of the oldest bruising and bleeding disorders in history. It was first discovered by Hippocrates, who was a Greek physician, in 400 BC. Hippocrates noted that the Scythians and nomads had lax joints and multiple scars. I'm guessing the nomads and the Scythians were like warrior peoples because I couldn't find out much more about them, but they had lax joints and multiple scarrings. And then we jump ahead centuries in what I found. And in 1657, Job Jansoon van Mierkeren, I ho- I think I'm saying that, Mierkeren, Mierkeren, yeah, Job Jensen van Mikeren, a Dutch surgeon, presented a sailor who could scr- who could stretch the skin on his chest out to an arm's length. That's a cool party trick, but probably didn't feel super nice. Um, in 1892, Alexandra Nikolaevich Chernogubov, Chernogubov presented two patients with connective tissue issues. <laughs> connective tissue issues that sounds like a that sounds like a cool website for like pop culture references to dis- to EDS somebody should make that um but this guy in 1892 presented two pa- two patients with connective tissue issues but the paper he wrote was not widely accepted in Europe and then after that in my notes I put I always find it interesting how much of the politics plays a part in medicine even back then leaving people living with these conditions without actually much help so all these cool stuffy scientists and they really were stuffy all the pictures of these men look like crusty pompous old white men and I find it troubling that all these white all these old crusty scientists were you know debating whether or not these conditions even existed and people living with these conditions were not actually receiving any kind of relief or help and that sucks um and to go back to the to the men they were there was certainly no sex appeal to any of these men i tried to look at these photos and see if i would like think any of them was hot back in the day no 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 they all they look like one of them looks like they're already dead one of them looked like a potato with a with a like with a with a evening suit on a potato with like tails and an evening suit on it just like they looked really like crusty old white men so then in 1908 Henri Alexandre Danlos presented a patient and showed how quote fragile and extensible the boy's skin was he stated that the boy had pseudo tumors and had as he termed it cutis laxa which i think means like like weak skin or weak yeah, i think i think it means like weak skin 
1936, Francis Parks Weber suggested that the condition be named Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome after the two who so notably saw much of the condition. Chernogubov was not forgotten, though. The one who I said a minute ago was... Oh, no, I forgot. Edward Loritz Ehlers was a Danish dermatologist who was given whose name was given to the disorder, and he was one of the ones who 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 ended up using their name for the disorder. But Chernogubov was not forgotten, and in Russia, it's not called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome; it's called Chernogubov syndrome. Let's move into diagnosis. Um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and I'm taking this from rarediseases.org. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is generally diagnosed based on patient history and clinical findings. Genetic testing can facilitate the diagnosis of some subtypes, which we'll get into. There's quite a lot. Electron microscopic analysis of tissue samples can also sometimes reveal characteristic abnormalities in collagen structures seen in EDS. The clinical evaluation of individuals with suspected or diagnosed UDS typically includes assessments to detect and determine the extent of skin and joint hyperextensibility. For example, physicians may measure skin hyperextensibility by carefully pulling up skin at a neutral site until the point of resistance, and joint hyperextensibility may be evaluated by using a clinical rating scale. Often, specialized imaging tests such as computerized tomography or CT scanning, MRIs, echocardiography are used to detect and characterize mitral valve prolapse and aortic dilatation. During a CT scan, a computer and x-rays create a, yeah, it it goes in, it goes on and on to say what, what an MRI does, but basically they use all these things to possibly test EDS, but it seems like if it can take 20 years to be properly diagnosed, it seems like they're not doing a super good job of it, or it can be really, really hard to diagnose. Um, uh, and I feel like they we should have better, better diagnostic tests for things like this so that people living with it don't have to experience the downside of living with these conditions and disabilities. A lot of the treatments for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is generally focused on implementing preventative measures against serious or life-threatening complications. The primary complications seen in EDS involve the skin, musculoskeletal, and cardiovascular systems. Patient skin is velvety, loose, and stretchable. This predisposes patients to difficulties with wound healing for both accidental and surgical wounds. Deep stitches are applied generously. So there's a lot of like just, it sounds like their their treatment is to just try to prevent it from getting worse over time. They regularly screen for hypertension and arterial disease. Um, they also do things like colonoscopies and other, other invasive screenings um, to make sure people are okay. They also advise that 
um, that you know they talk in 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 the treatment they talk about maybe don't do heavy sports, don't do heavy lifting, and don't do super strenuous things. It'll it'll lead to problems for you later. Um, they also talk about pregnancies and people who want to have babies and talk about how dangerous it can be to actually have birth, have a natural birth for people who want to have babies. Um, they talk about people who want to have babies and, and the dangers of having, having, uh, having a, having pregnancy and even the dangers of, of carrying a baby at a full term with EDS. So I can imagine anybody with EDS who wants to start a family might that's going to be hard. That's going to be really tough to know that you you might not be able to have a baby because it might hurt your body, and that sucks. One of the cool things that I found when I was researching EDS and when I've talked to people who live with EDS is that they call themselves zebras. And I wanted to understand why, so I did some research as to why somebody living with EDS would call themselves a zebra. And people with EDS usually refer to themselves as zebras, but why? This is because medical professionals are taught, quote, if you hear hoofbeats behind you, expect a horse, not a zebra. This means that medical professionals are taught to test for the most common things and will usually not test for ultra-rare diagnoses or, or diseases or things like that. And this means that EDS is often misdiagnosed. The zebra moniker has a large platform on social media that helps bring communities together. So if you look at people on Twitter and on, on other social media platforms like Instagram, they'll have pictures of a zebra in their, in their uh, header for their social media to say that they have EDS. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that if we, I think that it's really awesome that we, in our disability communities have cool different ways of describing ourselves and I think zebra is a really cool way of doing that and I think it also it also forces the medical community to realize they have to look deeper at things and I think also zebra speaks to the medical ableism that people experience trying to get diagnosed so I kind of like that kind of like that a lot I wonder if there's an animal that people with cerebral palsy can call themselves. Is that a thing? Should it be a thing? If you if you were to, if you live with CP and you were to, um, you were to pick an animal for people living with cerebral palsy, what animal would you choose? I wonder. I also wonder if not just for CP, but are there other disabilities that have an animal attached to it that I haven't thought of? And if there are, uh, let me know on the tw on the Twitter at DisaftDarkPod or my Twitter. It's Andrew Gerza. Let me know. Maybe there's another animal that I didn't think of for other disabilities. I'd love to hear that. But, uh, but yeah, I think that it's really cool that, that um, the zebra is used to discuss Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and I, I think that it I, again I really think that it does it does force the medical community to look at, at how they have to start finding better diagnostic ways to 
to diagnose these really rare things so people can get the support they need. But now let's move into a little bit of sex and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So many people have shared stories with me uh, and shared stories just generally about their joints and hips dislocating during sex. One of our people that's working with us on the Handy team, uh, Katie Venables, has talked about that a a bunch. Um, People assume that, people with EDS assume that, that sex is just like this for everyone. Everyone's hip dislocates during sex. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like that's really sad that they would just assume that sex is like this for everybody, which means we don't talk enough about EDS and we don't talk enough about these things and we don't bring these things to light enough because if you're just assuming that everybody has their joints pop out and you think this is what sex is, that could probably really scar any kind of enjoyment you get from having sex as somebody with EDS. So I can imagine that if you had n- have, if you started having sex and didn't know you had EDS and then your hip started dislocating, it would really color the way you looked at sexuality after that. People say people with EDS say they stopped having sex or wanting sex because of the pain, which I I can I can only imagine that would really suck to have to realize that you don't want to have sex because it might hurt too bad, that's going to suck. And that's going to... And for, for anybody living with, with, with disabilities or chronic illnesses that make them hurt, it's, it's got to be painful to have to give up something that could give us so much pleasure. One of the things I found in the research was that a lot of partners of people with EDS can feel really bad about bruising or hurting their partners. One article was like, one article of somebody that I read in the research said that their partner would wake up and notice bruising on them, which has got to feel really bad to know that you are maybe having a good time sexually with the person, but then the next the next day they have a giant bruise on their body and people who may not understand about EDS might think that a partner was abusing somebody when they weren't and I'm sure that it it puts a lot of strain on partners to think that they might hurt their their partner with EDS when they just want to have a good time so I can imagine not only for the person with EDS but for also potential sexual partners or lifelong partners or boyfriends or girlfriends or or people that you're dating or, or dates that it can be really tough to manage all that. One of the things people with EDS can say to partners is please don't bite too hard. Please don't um, spank too hard during sex because I'll bruise you can say that to them I think that's really a valuable thing but a lot of people also said that in in the the interviews that I read they say that they stay single or non-sexual for years because prospective partners cannot cope 
with the fact that they have EDS and so they'll leave them and they won't stay and they won't, they won't, you know, stay with them long enough to get through some of the fear. And that's that as somebody living with CP and also had people not willing to stay in my life because of that. I, I know firsthand how painful that can be. A lot of the articles that I read about EDS and sex discussed interviewees feeling shame and anger over the kind of sex they can't have anymore. And even though I have another disability, I certainly feel that way about my sex and the sex that I have. Um, and I, I experienced that feeling of shame and anger quite a lot. Incontinence during sex has also been a huge issue for people with EDS, and to that, to that I say, well, I don't have EDS, I also, I have IBS, and to that I say, me too, friends. I understand that frustration one million percent. I also think that if you are a partner of somebody with EDS, or a sexual partner, or a long-term partner, with, to somebody with EDS, you shouldn't ask them to do things that will hurt themselves during sex. Also, if you're somebody with EDS, don't don't think that by dislocating your hips or doing something super flexy that it will be super sexy for them. Don't hurt yourself to make them feel like the sex is hotter or different like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So don't feel like you have to perform some sort of thing for them to make it sexier. It's okay. I couldn't find a lot of articles that referenced how awesome sex and disability could be with EDS or any EDS-specific sex positions or options. So if anyone out there has any hot experiences with EDS they want to share with us, you can email us and let us know at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And just because I wanted to put a pop culture slant on it, kind of like what I did with the Entertainment Tonight episode, the celebrities that I wouldn't think were ableist, I kind of found three cool celebs with EDS. Well, two cool celebs with EDS, and then one that I would that I don't think is super cool, but I mentioned them anyway. So the first one I found was Songstress Sia has EDS, and my first thought was maybe she can write a song about it. Wouldn't it be really cool to have a song about EDS? Like a cool pop song about like translucent. She could call it translucent. And it could be. It could be all about her like translucent skin, and it could be a sexy jam about translucency or something. Um, and then I found out that actress Jamila Jamil has EDS, and I thought maybe we could get a cool Netflix series all about EDS and all about the. Trials and Tribulations of Somebody Living with EDS, a comedy, perhaps? Jamila, call me and let's make this happen. Um, and then the third celebrity, I'm not super I'm not super excited by them per se, but Lena Dunham does have EDS. And I don't want to give her too much of a shout out because she's done and said some horrible things. Go look her up on the internet. She's done some pretty inappropriate horrible things but she does have eds so there you go 
I also found some resources for people who want to learn more about EDS. There's EDS Canada, and they they basically talk about diagnoses and and resources and things like that for for people with for Canadians with EDS. You can go there. I also found Discovering EDS on Instagram. They they are a small account, but they talk specifically about EDS on Instagram, which I thought was cool. And then you can go to the Zebra Network. You can just type that in, and it should come up as like the thezebranetwork.com or something. And that's my episode of What's Your Condition with a discussion about EDS. Let me know what other conditions and other disabilities you want me to do a deep dive in the research on about, because I'd love to do more episodes like this. If you have funny stories about EDS you want to share, pop them in an email, and I'd love to to look at having you as a guest or doing a Minnesota about that. It's all good. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of Disability After Dark. This is episode 201 already. Holy wow. And um, I'm excited to do more What's Your Condition episodes. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be back next week for another Thursday episode and tomorrow for another quarantine and chill. All right, friends. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, friends. This has been another edition of Disability After Dark the podcast feed, shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one career cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or a complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020